Welcome to Sabbath School for April 4, 2020. I'm Pastor Cameron DeBazier with the Michigan Conference of Seventh-day Adventist Sabbath School and Personal Ministries Department. Well, this is the very first Sabbath of the new quarter, and we have an exciting lesson study today all about the Scripture, how to interpret it, how do we read and understand, and most importantly, apply the Bible. We're going to have a very rich Bible study coming up, but before we dive into a study of God's Word, we want to remember that though the foundation of Sabbath School is Bible study and prayer, our focus should always be on mission. We don't want to just receive God's Word, we want to give it to the world in this generation. And the Seventh-day Adventist Church is a global denomination. It's not just a local church setting. We have a mission through the whole globe. And for our global mission focus, instead of turning to a pre-recorded um, mission spotlight, which are wonderful resources, and you can find on our webpage at michigansbm.org. But today we have a special guest with us who knows something about global mission work, having been a missionary himself and is now an administrator in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So I want to welcome... Pastor Ted Wilson. Thank you for being with us, Elder Wilson. And um, we have a global mission special, specialist with us today. And uh, could you just tell us a little bit about your history with global missionary work and how you got there and, and how the Lord led in that? Well, thank you, Pastor DeVazier. And uh, what a privilege it is to be able to connect with the Michigan Conference and all those who are studying God's Word in these very, very unusual times. Mm. Uh, when a lot of the people around the world are being affected so dramatically with this pandemic. But what an opportunity to witness in appropriate ways mm -hmm. uh, to God's great, wonderful blessings on each of us. Yeah. And Michigan Conference is the first conference, predates even the General Conference. Yes, so that's true. So <laughs> what an exciting thing in 1861, I think it was, when mm -hmm. Michigan Conference started. From there... People went all over the world. I mean, looking at Mark 16 and verse 15, Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So from this humble beginning in Michigan Conference and then in 1863, the General Conference, people have gone out. Of course, 1874 was the first real missionary sent. And many of us have followed in the Savior's wonderful footprints. Mm -hmm. Personally, I had the privilege of growing up in the country of Egypt. Mm. I love the Middle East. I love the people of the Middle East. It still has a deep uh, resonating part in my heart. And I've had the privilege of working in West and Central Africa, Indian Ocean area, that general uh, area. And then also in the Euro-Asia division, which, which covers essentially the former Soviet Union. God has blessed us enormously as mm. we've spent time in other cultures helping people to know the three angels messages mm -hmm. and Christ soon coming and how church members can be involved personally in thinking globally but working locally. Amen. Now you bring up that interesting point because the Seventh-day Adventist church history is so rich with a missionary fervor you know and so many examples and wonderful stories are told but now we're kind of moving into a time we've got a presence around the world and praise the Lord for all the places he's planted us. But now we have this unique situation where people are told not to go out, not to do work. And I think there's maybe some people saying, well, if we can't meet in church buildings, if we can't have large congregational programs, is the church just kind of on pause right now? Is the work stopped for the moment? Or what's happening in mission work in these days? God is blessing enormously, even in this very restrictive time mm. uh, during this coronavirus, COVID-19 situation. And I have to tell you, we need to pray earnestly for the people who have contracted it mm. and also those who have lost loved ones. Uh, it is truly a pandemic situation. But, and this is not the final crisis, but I'll tell you, it is a precursor to what is coming. Mm. I believe that Jesus is coming very soon. The, the signs in Matthew 24 and elsewhere are really showing us we're living just before Jesus' coming. So people need to use every method possible, using social media, even during this time, telephone calls, waving at people <laughs> from a distance, yeah. sharing with them literature in some way that... Uh, you know, isn't going to transmit uh, <laughs> right. uh, any, any germs or virus. Mm -hmm. uh, they need to think of innovative ways to do things. In fact, it's interesting. We've just had some discussions 
through Zoom, mm -hmm. uh, which is a very good interactive conference yes. calling. And we've had discussions about our strategic plan for 2020 to 2025. Mm -hmm. And uh, we want to launch it this year because it was supposed to be launched at GC session, which is now postponed. Sure. And uh, so we were talking about this thing of I will go. That's the theme that's really going to be hitting hard. And really, we're not saying I will stay. <laughs> right. No, we want people to go, but they're going to have to go in unique ways. Mm. And I think that the Holy Spirit's going to help church members to know exactly how they can do that in a local setting, mm -hmm. using telephones, using social media, increasing their connection with people in appropriate public health ways. Mm -hmm. But God's going to open up all kinds of avenues. People are at home. Yes. People are not moving. They have time. Mm -hmm. And so this is a great opportunity to just check up on people. I mean, as a local church elder in my local church, mm -hmm. I've been given about eight names mm -hmm. of church members I need to call. Just check on how they're doing. Yeah. Telephone is amazing. I mean, <laughs> you know, you can use it now for not just chatting about, you know, your personal things. Yeah. Do use missionary work. We also have uh, tele uh, telephone evangelism through what Adventist World Radio is doing, where you can actually use your telephone to then share Bible studies with people. And I think it would be marvelous to check up on Adventist World Radio and telephone evangelism. Amen. So what, you're, what I hear you saying in a nutshell is that even from the general conference perspective, you're not looking at things and saying, now, oh, we won't go. No, we're still urging people to go, but Precisely. looking for ways to do it creatively. Pray to the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit to lead, and use some of these technological uh, tools that we have, whether it's radio or internet or telephone or text mm -hmm. messaging, but there are still ways to give this precious message in these t troublous times. And let me just add one thing. Yes. I'm really proud of Michigan Conference and how you innovatively mm -hmm. do things that are very creative to attract attention uh, all across your territory, the state mm -hmm. of Michigan. Uh, I've been impressed in the past and I know God's going to bless you enormously. Well, praise the Lord. And I want to thank you for being with us today. It's so good to see that global perspective. A lot of times people, especially now, they might be you know, in their homes and thinking they're separate or isolated from their... But the body of Christ is still alive and well and active in this day in Earth's history. So thank you, Elder Wilson, for being with us today. And we want to remind everyone that global mission work continues. Please continue to pray for those missionaries on the front line. Please continue to return tithes and offerings that can go to forward those works around the world and to be a personal missionary right where we are every day. Thank you so much, Elder Wilson, for being with us. Privilege. Now, as exciting and awesome as it is to hear about all the work that's going on around the world at this time, we still have a work to do right here in our territory of Michigan. And for that, we're so thankful that we have Shelley Ringstaff here with us, who is the Director of Adventist Community Services in the Michigan Conference. Now, Shelley, <laughs> Community Services is dormant right now, or is it active and working even during this crisis? Absolutely not dormant. We are out there as best we can. We do have to be careful with the virus going around and being safe, six feet apart. Uh, most of our community service centers are closed. They, if they have a clothing, but they usually have a number on the door. So if people are in need of clothing, there's still a way to get that. And there's an emergency number on the door. Working together with the pastors and the deacon and deaconesses and checking on church members. We're still working hard, but the biggest one that we're doing is the food pantries. Okay, so what's going on with food? So to get this straight, clothing is still happening, but they're making some adjustments in, in a lot of places. Either they're not doing it at all, or if they are doing it, there's like a, a you have to call ahead and certain right. you know things. But food, what's happening with food right now? There's a lot of need. People are being laid off, as you know, mm. and they're making a decision, am I going to pay my rent or am I going to get food? Mm. And if you've been to the stores, there's not a lot of food on the shelves at some times. And so our community service centers are fully running. We have around 20-ish centers all the time, and about more than a dozen are still running. And they are taking precautions, having call-ins, and then they a box of food, and they put it outside the door or outside um, a parking lot, and people are driving through and picking up their mm. food. So while the center itself might be closed, you can't browse through things like you can have yeah. that close contact. It's nice to have, but you can't have it now. Mm -hmm. But the work still goes on. 
So they're making these measures, like you said, putting thing boxes out by the mm -hmm. or having pickup with the cars driving by. Right. That's really, really neat. Yeah, and they're also the center, the volunteers, of course, are staying at six feet apart, um, wearing masks at times, and also gloves, and sanitizing all the items that are going out to the community. So the people are clean and the items are clean. Mm -hmm. Everything is doing everything up to the up to snuff for these regulations yes. right it's now. It's very important for me to protect all of my volunteers, especially when I'm asking for even more volunteers. Which brings up a great <laughs> question. Are you just fill, filled up with all the people trying to help or is there still room for people who would like to help out if they'd like to? There's a lot of room to volunteer. Um, you, if you're afraid to go out, which I understand, there's a lot of people who are afraid, and you know what, we need to be careful. You, there's a places where you can call in, you can call your neighbors, you can call the elderly, or they have elderly hotlines where people are calling and people are going shopping for the elderly and putting the items on their porches. Or, you know, a big need is the food banks in mm. the state of Michigan. Boxing food for uh, the people who are coming into the food bank so they can be able to continue to be nourished. Awesome. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing here in Michigan Anytime. and giving us, you know, not just a good reputation, but a good work for the Lord's work. And we're so thankful for that. And if you want to get involved in Adventist Community Services right in your hometown, please contact the Adventist Community Services of the Michigan Conference and they will guide you in how you can best be a blessing at this time. Thank you so much, Shelley. You're welcome. So good to hear about the things that are happening with Adventist Community Services, all of the local churches that are participating as the body of Christ at this time. But as we constantly remind us, the, uh, the work of the Lord is not just global, nor is it merely local church families, but it's individual members that God has called to give the gospel message. And to help us out with that, we're so happy that we have Camille Metz with us today from the Literature Ministries Department of the Michigan Conference. All right, Brother Camille, what can people be doing now to continue personal ministry at this time? Well, what I'm excited about is that the mission does not stop. Yes. We still have opportunities to minister to people, Bible studies, you know, helping others, as well as share literature right now. So last weekend, you talked about how people can share the glow tracks digitally, yes. and they can still do it. Uh, this coming week, we'll have the shipment of the new glow tracks coming in, so people actually can order a physical copy of these tracks. Okay. So we, we do talk about share them digitally. Go to the GLOW website and, and, and just simply pick the topic you want to share and just simply email them or, or share them on social media. But there's another way how people can do that. You know, you look at your, your inventory of books at home and you may have some sharing books. You can simply take those books and write a little note, personal note, include the Bible study offer GLOW tract with it and mail it to someone. Mm -hmm. You know, what's happening right now, a lot of people are searching spiritually. Mm -hmm. I'm watching social media, I'm seeing that. People who didn't make spiritual comments are now making spiritual comments. Mm -hmm. And we got to be responding to that. That means if I see a family member who is awakening spiritually, my responsibility as a Seventh-day Adventist is to respond to it right now. Mm. Because it's not guaranteed that two weeks from now they'll be still interested, right? Mm -hmm. Now, some members may say, you know, I'm not comfortable buying envelopes and going to the post office and doing all right, that. Right, because that would still cause some sort of social interaction. Yeah, we're that's really, right. We're locked down right now. So, so what they can do is they can actually go to our glowonline.org forward slash gift website, okay. and they will find some of the sharing books, like the Story of Hope mm -hmm. and the Desire of Ages. Mm. And when they are in the process of purchasing that book, it will include the shipping and the handling fee. They will also be able to write a little note. So mm -hmm. there will be a form when they fill out a little note. We print off the note, which will be included with the book. So there will be the book. There will be the personal note. There will be the Bible study offer, Glow Tract. Mm -hmm. And we'll ship it on their behalf to their family member, friend, co-worker. What a great idea. So even if people want to distribute books, but they may not have them at home, they may not want to go out, they may be uh, all those uneasinesses. This is totally mm -hmm. understandable. Mm -hmm. But from the comfort of their own home, through a simple internet connection, they can log on to Glow Online slash gift mm -hmm. and send these very resources with a personal note and that Bible study offer track That's in right. there. That's, That's right. Excellent. Thank you so much. Now, uh, Let's talk about why we'd want to do this because obviously we want to share things anytime, day or mm -hmm. night, regardless mm -hmm. of whether there's a crisis or not. But as you mentioned, people's, 
people's interests are up right now yes. in eternal things, on big picture issues mm -hmm. of life uh, because of the virus. But also, this is the time of year, typically in a normal year, where at least within the Christian world, there's a, an awakening and a talking about the resurrection and the ministry of Jesus during this time of the year. And so would this be a good thing to do for people who are looking for an Easter gift or something like that? Would that work for this? I think we need to be relevant. Okay. That means if this is Easter time, it's time to bring the, the message of hope, the resurrection message, really a message of hope. So why not right now, this week, mm -hmm. send someone the story of hope or the desire of ages? Yeah, let's act right now. Amen. Of course, we can continue doing this later on, but this week is the week to really act. Amen. So it's a timely message as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, fantastic. Thank you, Camille, for the work that you're doing and allowing us to do work through this ministry. Amen. So friends, Global Mission is going to go forward. Our local church ministry is going to go forward. And every member's own ministry is going to go forward as the Lord leads and as we band together for His cause to finish this work in this generation. God bless. How exciting it is indeed to know about all the mission work that's going on around the world and even right here in our local churches and our local conference. So praise the Lord for that mission focus. But as we know, the foundation of Sabbath school is always Bible study and prayer. That's we want right. to dive into the meat and the substance of our faith, which is the Word of God. Absolutely. Now, speaking of that, we have started now a new quarter, we a have. new set of lessons. And Mark, what are these lessons about? Yeah, well, how to interpret Scripture is the new quarterly, mm -hmm. which uh, we were talking earlier. It's like... Mm -hmm. An entire quarter, 13 weeks on. <laughs> Sounds like it may be a little bit overdone, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, we went from the book of Daniel. It's got all those deep chapters and prophecies and whatnot, and just is just an overview of the Bible itself. Yeah, or... and, and, and what it really gets into, and I don't believe it's overdone at all. I believe it's very timely. Mm. We are in a culture, and um, I think... Our viewers are aware of this. If you go anywhere and you have discussions in Christian circles, mm -hmm. we're in a culture that even Christians don't have confidence in the Word of God. Mercy. In other words, if you say, well, you know what the Bible says, people say, well, that's what you say the Bible says. And are we really sure? And so the Bible that used to be the definitive book for a Christian is now like, well, can we be sure? And suddenly there's no certainty. Mm. And that's just not how God intended it. When God inspired the Scripture, God wasn't thinking... Uh, I'm trying to say something. I'm not sure. I'm hoping people can figure it out and take it or leave it. <laughs> he had a message he was conveying. Mm -hmm. And not only did he convey it in, uh, to the writers of Scripture, but then he promised to send the spirit of truth to lead us into truth. So this ambiguity that people approach the Bible with today is mm -hmm. not biblical. Mercy. And that's what this quarter is going to reveal. Well, it makes me think of, you know, and we're not into our official Bible study portion yet, but it just off the top of my head, in Matthew chapter 7, yes. you know, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had said things like, you have heard it said, but I say, and he's speaking with such a definitive tone, right? Right. And the Bible itself says, and you can find this in Matthew 7, 28 and 29, it says, and so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. And then it tells us why in verse 29, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes, which tells me that, that there was a clear distinction between how Jesus taught biblical principle than how the teachers of the law at that day were communicating it. Yes, and what's, what's more fascinating to me and insightful, and I know you're familiar with this passage in Desire of Ages, but um, Ellen White comments on this in the book Desire of Ages, page 253, this idea of, of the scribes' manner of mm -hmm. teaching and Jesus' manner of teaching. She says of Jesus, but while his teaching was simple, he spoke as one having authority. This characteristic set his teaching in contrast with that of all others. The rabbis spoke with doubt and hesitancy, as if the scriptures might be interpreted to mean one thing or exactly the opposite. Mm. The hearers were daily involved in greater uncertainty. Now, tell me we don't see that happening <laughs> that today. Exactly well, like I don't today. know. You could take it that way, but you could take it. Mm -hmm. That's what was going on. But, and that's the next word, but Jesus taught the scriptures as of unquestionable authority, whatever his subject, it was presented with power as if his words could not be controverted. Now, controverted means argued. And I mm -hmm. love that as if. Fact is, Anybody can argue with what you say, and they argue with what Jesus said. 
The point isn't that they didn't argue. The point is he spoke as though there was no argument. Mercy. Because there wasn't. That this is what Scripture means, this is what God says, and the Scriptures can't be broken. And so when the Scripture itself says that God is not the author of confusion but of peace, he wants clarity. He That's wants exactly us to be confirmed right. in That's our faith. That's why the Scripture was given, wow. to give us clarity in the things of God. So this is going to be an exciting quarter. <laughs> Well, this was just the introduction. We <laughs> need to right. dive into the study. But before right. we do that, let's begin with a word of yes. prayer. Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for another week of life. Thank you that we can study your word. And help us now as we study how to study your word, how to interpret the word, how to apply that word in our lives, that we may have that same certainty that Jesus conveyed in his teaching. May we see the scripture as it is, the very word of God, and understand why it is such and how it applies in our lives. So bless us with your Holy Spirit, who you've promised to give to lead us into all truth. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's start off with uh, the lesson this week is called The Uniqueness of the Bible. And I want to start, there, there are some quick facts about the Bible right there on Sabbath afternoon's lesson in the quarterly. And so I want to just read those um, Sabbath afternoon's lesson, it says, Composed of 66 books and written over 1,500 years on three continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe, by more than 40 authors, the Bible is unique. There is no other book, sacred or religious, like it. And no wonder, after all, it is the Word of God. There are more than 24,600 extant New Testament manuscripts from the first four centuries of, uh, after Christ. Of Plato's original manuscripts, there are seven. Herodotus, eight. And Homer's Iliad, slightly more than 263 surviving copies. So the Bible has a whole lot, I mean, a host that you can compare. Yeah. If, if there was a lot of discrepancy, that would really They'd discredit the, the Bible. Place, yeah. But with all of these more than 24,000 manuscripts, and they're all saying the they same thing with, the same with minor yeah. discrepancies. Um, continuing on. Hence, we have a powerful confirming evidence of the integrity of the New Testament text. The Bible was the first book known to be translated, the first book in the West published on the printing press, uh, the Gutenberg Bible published on the Gutenberg Press. Mm -hmm. And the first book to be so widely distributed in so many languages that it can be read by 95% of the earth's population today. The Bible also is unique in its content and message, which focuses on God's redemptive acts in history. That history is intertwined with prophecy as it foretells the future of God's plans and His eternal kingdom. It is the living Word of God, because the same Spirit of God through which Scripture was inspired is promised to believers today to guide us into all truth as we study the Word. I think that was just a great yeah. quick synopsis. Very of, well written. Yes. And it gives you a very quick overview of why the Bible is so important because it's not just, you know, you used to refer to the Bible as the good book where yes. people will say, oh, it's a good book or it's got some very good teaching, good moral <laughs> philosophy. <laughs> right. But look, the Bible is not just another book. It doesn't make the claim to be another book. It is God's book. And we're going to get into that a little bit more, how we can understand the nature of the Bible. But what we hold in our hands is not just interesting it's actually inspired. And that's a powerful test. That's exactly right. So we're going to look at the uniqueness of the Bible this week. And mm -hmm. there are four points we're going to look at. One is that the Bible is a divine yet human book. Mm -hmm. One is that the Bible is a historical book. Mm -hmm. One is that the Bible is a prophetic book. And finally, that the Bible is a living book. Amen. So let's talk about the, the divine human book. We're going okay. to go to Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 21 and look at that verse. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. And I know that further lessons in our quarter will, will delve into this in more detail, but we're just going to highlight this today a little bit. Second Peter 1 verse 21 is in the middle of a verse, but we're, we're going to get what we need out of this particular verse 21. It says, for prophecy uh, never came, and prior to that it says, no prophecy of Scripture. Mm -hmm. So it, it's not speaking necessarily of things that were prophesied as much as what was written in Scripture. Mm -hmm. Prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, I've had people say, who are, who are non-believers, they'll say, well, you know, I don't believe in the Bible because it was written by a bunch of men. Mm -hmm. Well, the Bible was written by human beings, it's true. But as the Bible says here, holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And it's one of the unique things about the Bible that God didn't have angels come down and write the Bible. Mm -hmm. He used human beings with the same struggles, the same 
challenges that you and I have mm -hmm. from all different backgrounds as well. Yeah. You know, you go through and you look at the writers of the Bible. You've got uh, Moses, who was a prince in Egypt, right, in line for the mm -hmm. throne. He also was, was an exile himself. Yeah. He also was a, was a general of the armies of mm -hmm. Egypt. He was also a shepherd, a shepherd at one for point, a while there. Right. Yeah. Amos was a shepherd. Mm -hmm. uh, David was a shepherd and a king. Luke was a physician. Luke was a Matthew doctor. Matthew was a tax, uh, exactly. tax collector. I mean, they're all over the place. So you've got people from every walk of life. And one of the amazing things about Scripture is that God, the way interpretation works, and again, we have a lesson, uh, several lessons coming up to deal with this, but... The way inspiration works is that God gave the message to the writer of Scripture, but he allowed them to put it in their own right. verbiage, in their own language. So Luke came from a, the mindset of a doctor, and yet God oversaw the process. So it was yes. still the inspired Word of God, the infallible Word of God. And yet it has a stamp of, of, of character, if you will, from different authors so that it, it's widely relatable. And it's what's interesting to me when you're looking at that passage, because again, it says there in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 20 and 21, no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. You right. can't, that very thing we were talking about in the introduction about, That's right. ah, it could be this way, it could be, the Bible itself says no, it's not designed to be open to interpretation, and the reason it's not, and again, it runs into the second objection you just mentioned, people say, well, it was written by men. Well, the Bible doesn't hide that. The Bible's very clear. That's it right. was written by men holy men who are moved That's by the exactly Holy Spirit, right. that there's a power behind the man. Yes, these are men's words, but the message is from a higher source, that they were guided by the Holy Spirit. And so you're going to see Absolutely. stylistic differences. You know, Paul writes very... In fact, Peter talks about, you know, Paul's sure. words could be misunderstood. You know, Luke is... A, is Paul a, was a theologian, of course. and you see that in his writing. Exactly. Peter but was a Moses, fisherman, and you Psalmist see, of David, right. you know, they, they have different ways, but they're conveying through their person divine illumination by the that's Spirit right. of God. And as you were saying, uh, we were talking about this earlier, in all of that, there is a consistent and common thread yes. of unity. D d d <laughs> you know, even though Paul speaks different from, from Peter or Amos, they're saying the same And message. can you imagine any other context where you could have different, three different languages, three different continents, 1,500 years by people who never met Absolutely. in different walks of life, yet from Genesis to Revelation, this Scripture interprets Scripture and it works. Look at, look at our amazing. society today and the arguments about what's cultural and say, well, yeah. you're from a different culture you won't understand. So how is it that the Bible... Can somehow overarch all of that. <laughs> that's exactly it. right. Yeah, it's incredible. And, and, and people have read the Bible in, in, you know, of course, in Jesus' day or in, you know, um, mid, medieval Europe mm -hmm. or in our day today. And it still speaks with relevance mm -hmm. in every age. That's right. So it's phenomenal. We're dealing with a powerful book indeed. And, and yeah. part, of that, part of that has to do with it being this divine human book. So let's, mm -hmm. let's talk about the, the other thing, the next thing we mentioned, okay. and that is the historical aspect of the Bible. I want to turn to the lesson, Wednesday's lesson. And uh, they make a good statement there that I would like to uh, uh, refer to. The Bible as history. Mm -hmm. And it says, the Bible is unique when compared to other holy books because it is constituted in history. This means that the Bible is not merely the philosophical thoughts of a human being, and I may say a religious leader, mm -hmm. like Confucius or Buddha, but it records God's acts in history as they progress toward a specific goal, which we're going to come to in our, in our discussion of this. In the case of the Bible, those goals are one, the promise of a Messiah, and two, the second coming of Jesus. This progression is unique to the Judeo-Christian faith in contrast to the cyclical view of many other world religions from ancient Egypt and modern Eastern religions. So uh, l let's break that down a little bit. Sure. First of all, the histor uh, the, 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 let's talk about the accurate history of the Bible. Most histories, when they're recording events, when it comes to heroes of history, will gloss over the faults of the, of the hero, of said hero, mm -hmm. right? The Bible is very unique in that when it talks about its greatest heroes, it does so with all their faults. Uh, for example, you have uh, David, a man after God's own heart, but the Bible mentions his adultery. You have Peter, one of the disciples of Christ, but the Bible mentions his denial in, un, in no uncertain terms, <laughs> right. right? That's very unique in sharing a history, and it gives us confidence to know that the Bible's history 
is not glossing anything over. It's giving us as accurate a history as it can. Right, and, and it makes me, putting these two thoughts together from what we have previously talked about, you know, it is interesting because they mentioned in the lesson Confucius, Buddha, or whatever, and here you have a single person living in a single place during a single lifetime giving their one person's thoughts, right? But That's the right. Bible itself is, spans 1,500 years, and it's got people of different variety and experience who never met, right, and the cohesive unity of that, and those people themselves that are mentioned in Scripture, as you alluded to, aren't just always the shiny, you know, uh, perfect image with all the blemishes erased and kind of smoothed mm-hmm. over. When reality is, I mean, you mentioned David, you can talk about Peter, you can go down the list of people who are good people, but they had terrible faults, and the Bible doesn't try to cover those up in any way. It exposes them to demonstrate that God is working through normal human life as we can relate to it. It's incredible. That's right. And and so, of course, it speaks to us as to accurate his, the accuracy of history, yes. but it also is encouraging yes. as, 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 you know, we're trying to be faithful to God that we see that the people who have gone before us, the heroes of the Bible, are not, don't have a, 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 an advantage. Right, they're not on a higher are. spiritual plane that's right. or that's some different category of people. They're just and that people. gives hope. It should give hope to every reader Amen. of Scripture. It certainly does. And one of the things that has made the Scripture the best-selling book in the world. <laughs> well, beyond that, you mentioned the word hope, and the, the lesson drew out this the, the progression towards something. Yes. That it's not cyclical. It's not like, well, it's, this is for your generation, then it starts all over again the next generation. But there's an actual progression over time from point A to B to C, aiming for a particular goal or goals as it lists in the lesson. That's right. And so one of the aspects of the history of the Bible is that it's a relevant history. Okay. It's not just, you know, how many times have you talked to somebody about history and I hate history. In fact, I did. Before I became a Christian, I, I just was not a big fan of history. And I'm not saying that history doesn't have its benefits, but yeah. especially in the Bible, you know, in, in, in many cases, a person could say, well, history, it's a, it's a record of something that has already been done and is behind us sure. and let's just look what's forward. Yeah, what's it going to do with me? But the biblical history has a, uh, has a uh, there's a purpose to it. There's a goal to it. In fact, mm-hmm. two goals that the lesson brought out specifically. Mm-hmm. One was that you had a portion of history of the Bible that pointed to the coming Messiah mm-hmm. who was going to be the redeemer of God's people. And then after the Messiah has come, we move forward in hope to the second coming of the Messiah, the resurrection of the dead and what have you, mm-hmm. which is very relevant to us. Mm. Uh, one of the Bible, one of the things the lesson brought out in that context was the history of the resurrection of Christ. Mm-hmm. It, okay, it's a historical event, but it's not just a historical event. The fact that Jesus was raised, and the Bible says he was, he was witnessed to by over 500 people, mm-hmm. that resurrection was witnessed to, and something that I've you know, perhaps our, our viewers have seen before in the discussion, heard a discussion of the disciples of Christ. Of the disciples of Christ, only one did not die a martyr's death. Mm-hmm. And they all died believing in and preaching and proclaiming the fact that Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, rose from the dead. Yes. You don't, I'm, I'm sorry, but you don't give your life as a martyr for a lie. Right. And so you have the disciples of Christ. You have the 500 plus the Bible mentions who saw Christ, who all witnessed to the same thing. And you know the history of the Christian church. It wasn't just the disciples of Christ that gave their lives Mm -hmm. for this belief. We have overwhelming evidence, historical evidence of the resurrection of Christ. But that that historical uh, account is relevant to us today because it testifies to the faithfulness of God's promises to Mm -hmm. you and me, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, there's a promise of the resurrection. We're in the midst of a crisis in this world. People don't know where to look for certainty, and yet you have the Bible speaking to the resurrection of Christ and gives me hope that even if I die, yet I can live again. Amen. Right? In the words of Jesus. So even though it's reliable history, which itself is good, it's not abstract in the sense of, well, that's interesting and over there, but it's practical, it's relevant. That's right. It's it's something to touch my heart now. And that's that's a pretty incredible thought, that the Bible was written, though it was written so long ago by so many other people in so many different circumstances. Here I am in 2020, I can pick up that book and that history I find myself in. So, right. and, and, you t- and the lesson brought it out, and you mentioned it, how there was the first coming of Christ 
as a landmark, right, to solidify, to, to, right. to stake in the ground. And that gives credibility to the promise of the second coming of Christ. And if there is that much reliability and confirmation and validity to the first coming of Christ and his resurrection, then certainly the second coming of Christ and the great resurrection to come should be a, a living hope in our hearts because of the reliability of the Bible's history. That's right. And we're going to talk about the, 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 the tie-in mm -hmm. to prophecy. Okay. But there's one other thing I wanted to bring up. We talked about the, the and we've used the word reliable, we talked about the accurate history with the mm -hmm. not glossing over the faults. But there's, there, there are several examples of the, 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 accurate, the reliability of biblical history. Okay. And there's just one that has been a favorite of mine. We just finished studying the quarterly on the lesson of Daniel. Mm -hmm. And Daniel, in Daniel chapter 5, brings up a feast of King Belshazzar, yes. Babylonian feast, which is recognized today by historians. But there was a period of time, uh, a couple hundred years ago, when there was no historical record of Belshazzar's existence except in Scripture. Mm. To the point that historians said that proves the Bible's a false book because there is mm -hmm. no Belshazzar. Somebody made it up who wrote the book of Daniel. Right. And, and from and, a non-believing perspective, if there's no outside confirmation, then it must be discarded as untrue, right? That's right. But what happened? <laughs> well, there, there was, um, uh, and I'm, I'm taking a reference from the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 4, where they're quoting from uh, another source here. Uh, it, the book is The Introduction to the Old Testament, uh, published in New York, New York in 1941. But they make the point in this article that confirmation of the conclusion that a co-regency, that is, you know, two king, kings reigning at the same time, co-regency between Nabonidus, which was the son of Nebuchadnezzar and the father of Belshazzar, and Belshazzar had existed. The, 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 the confirmation came in 1924 when Sidney Smith published the so-called verse account of Nabonidus of the British Museum. This was an account that was found in archaeological find where there was a record, I believe on clay tablets if I have it right, of the existence of Belshazzar that prior to that time only existed in Scripture. And the king they did trust existed, Nabonidus, was the one who said his regency exactly was passed to his right. son. And so now there's a lot of egg on the face of those people who are mocking the word of God because it was got there first. It was right. <laughs> That's exactly right. And there are many such accounts where the Bible history that was once doubted because there was no other evidence after subsequent archaeological mm -hmm. finds is verified over and over mm -hmm. and over. Mm -hmm. So we have the reliability of Bible history. So when we do read accounts like the resurrection of Christ, and we can have confidence. Well, and it's interesting because that same statement that you just read from continues. It says, their dilemma is reflected in the words of R.H. Pfeiffer of Harvard University, who states, quote, we shall presumably never know how our author, that is Daniel, <laughs> yeah. learned that Belshazzar was functioning as king when Cyrus took Babylon. They're like, well, I guess it's true, so we'll never know how he got it. Uh, yeah. Well, maybe he's just what he claims to be, a messenger of the Lord who had That's divine exactly insight and right. got it right. That's, That's exactly right. So the, the next uniqueness we want to talk about is, you know, we've talked about how the Bible is a divine human book. Yes. We've talked about how the Bible is a historical book. But let's talk about the Bible as a prophetic book. Okay. Okay. And, and of course, history and prophecy go hand in hand because, you know, prophecy <laughs> is history in advance. Um, but there's something unique. Now, looking at histories that the Bible recorded and then finding these archaeological digs and what have you confirming it, Mm -hmm. That gives us a level of confidence in the Bible. Mm -hmm. But prophecy, let's, let's go to uh, the book of Isaiah. Okay. There's a passage in Isaiah 56 that... I think it's 46. I'm sorry, you're right, 46. 46 verse 9. Isaiah 46 verse 9. Now the Lord himself is speaking through his prophet... Mm -hmm. As he does. <laughs> as he does, yeah. Well, as we'll learn in our lesson. But I want you to notice verse 9. The Bible says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Now, just this setup is fascinating to me in, in light of what God's about to say, because God's saying, you know, there are all these other so-called gods, but here's why I'm God and they're not. Here's what makes mm -hmm. me different. Here's what makes me this God. This is his litmus test. For and divinity, you know, yeah. you, could, you could already conjecture, well, is it the fact that he's creator? Is it the fact that he's eternally existent, right? He's immortal and, you know, that makes him God, whatever. What does he say that it is? Notice what the scripture says. 
remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, Mm. saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Mm. Wow. <laughs> just a powerful what a definitive way of approaching he didn't say so, like i think he's so like right. point, point on he's just saying so what's it. he say what is it that what does that mean declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things are not yet done go as you say i can stand here and tell you what's going to happen over there in the future he can look forward where humans just can't do that that's we right it's a divine so, attribute so god says prophecy is the evidence that he is god mm. And, and notice, Mark, that he doesn't just say it's his all-knowing uh, ability, right. which he does. He knows, all, he's, he's, he's uh, uh, omniscient. He knows all things, right? And it'd be one thing if God says, here's the difference between me and Baal. Here's right. the I know all things. I know the future. Now worship me. He could have said that, and it sounds very authoritative, but God takes another step, even though that would be true in itself. He says, I will declare it right. to you. So I'm going to say it. You're going to write it down. And even if you don't believe me, the the, the outworking of history will validate the claim I made today when you see it happen tomorrow. Absolutely. That's incredible. Absolutely. And you know, Jesus says the same thing in the New Testament. Okay. It's fascinating. In John chapter 13, uh, John 13, 19, uh, he says the same thing in John 14, 29. We're just going to look at John 13, 19. Okay. And um, he's talking to his disciples here. I'm still turning. <laughs> Verse 19, he says, Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Mm. Now what's fascinating to me about this is there are people who say Christianity is just basically this fairy tale belief in in, in made up stuff and whatever else. Like there's no evidence to it. And we talk about the secular or the postmodern mind. And they say, well, it's just this fairy tale stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And, 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 the idea is conveyed that you're expected to believe without a shred of evidence. This is saying the exact opposite. Yes. Jesus is saying, I am giving you evidence here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. And when it happens, human beings just can't do that. Right. Then you'll know that I am God. And you'll you'll I, I, know I, my claims about myself are true. It frustrates me. Even in the Christian world, you'll say to people who have, have logic and reason operate order yes. in, in, in every other aspect of their life. Their finances, they want right. it to equal to zero on their balance. You know, they want all the different things to, to make sure line up in science and in literature and academics, you name it, right? But when they step into a church or they go into any kind of t- discussion of faith, the assumption is, oh, that's where I turn my mind off. And I just enjoy the music or I like the paintings or the stained glass or the, the general moral feeling it gives you. If it's comfortable for you, but it's not, you know, it's, it's not expected to be reasonable or logical. But the Bible is not written in that kind of way. The, the Lord right. who made us, made us with minds that work through reason and logic. That's right. And he communicates to us in that way. He says, come, let us reason together. Right. And he gives evidence. One. Exactly. He gives us evidence for this faith. And so when he says, I am God, he doesn't say, so just take it at my word. That's right. Though his word is true and he could leave it there, he knows that in order for us to believe in that, we need to see the evidence and then once we've established that faith in the things he has demonstrated, when there's things we don't see yet, we don't have to say, well, it couldn't possibly. We mm-hmm. know it's true because right. he's demonstrated his validity as a divine author, as a divine creator, because of what he's given us in his word. It's incredible. That's right. And I want to put an exclamation mark on that point. You know, we just studied in our last quarter the book of Daniel. Daniel is full of what we call apocalyptic prophecy or end time prophecy where the mm-hmm. Bible foretold Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 7, Daniel yes. chapter 8 and 9, and 11 through or 10 through 12. And yeah. we went through all this and there's prophecies in the book of Revelation, similarly apocalyptic prophecies where God foretells mm-hmm. as an evidence. These prophecies serve the purpose, and this was God's intended purpose, of, give, of, of testifying to the divine authenticity of the authorship of Scripture. Mm. That, it was God, you know, that's what he's saying in Isaiah. I declare the, he didn't have to declare it. Why is he declaring it? For our sake. Yes. When Jesus told his disciples, he already knew it. Yes. But he said, I'm telling you so that when it happens, you'll know it. Right. And you'll know that who I am. So right. one of the things I like to say is, because there's another element of prophecy that, that our lesson brought out this week, and that is what we call messianic prophecy, which is a foretelling of, of the future, but it was a foretelling of 
the ministry yeah. and the mission of Christ, his lineage, his birthplace. From the Old Testament perspective, looking right. forward to the first coming of Jesus, right? Well, exactly. And so what happens with Messianic prophecy is you have prophets of the Old Testament, authors of the Old Testament scriptures, who foretold what would happen, and then you go to the New Testament and, and it there verifies. It right. And there's historical evidence as well, but much of Messianic prophecy is confirmed in With, the New in Testament. The scripture, yeah. And so, you know, skeptics will say, well, that's circular reasoning. The it's Bible like, what are the proves, odds? The, the, the Bible, Bible is real. Itself, yeah. And so what I like to say is the apocalyptic prophecies, you take a prophecy like Daniel 2, you can go to a secular world history book yes. and validate that what Daniel 2 said would happen, happened. Mm-hmm. So those apocalyptic prophecies testify to the yes. divine authorship of Scripture. Once you have that evidence and you're confident of the divine authorship, then you go to those Messianic prophecies and they testify right. to the fact that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah, the you Son know, of God, and give us confidence in the person of Jesus. People speak of the Bible as it was 2,000 years ago. How can it have relevance today? But the fascinating thing, that prophetic element extends beyond the closing of the canon, right? That's right. So it speaks of things beyond... So you could discredit, not that you could, but you know what I'm so saying, people say would like for, to discredit. So when you say, if our viewers don't understand, the closing of the canon, in other words, when, when, when right. the Bible... When be, John finished the beyond, book of Revelation, right. right. There are prophecies that reach beyond 100 right. AD. So exactly, 100 AD was roughly the end of the Bible time of authorship, right? Yes. But you could say that about the first coming of Jesus, that, well, you know, the Old Testament f- spoke of things that were fulfilled in the New Testament, but it's all inside the book, mm-hmm. right? But the book itself takes the courage, it takes the boldness, the divine assurity to go beyond its time frame to hundreds, even thousands of years in the future and say, this is going to happen. You can set your clock to it. And now we live in the privileged circumstance to be able to look back and see things that have been fulfilled after scripture closed. That's exactly right. And so we can say with a greater sense of confidence than ever before that the Bible has been and is and continuously will be true until Jesus comes. It's fascinating to me. Well, I want to look at just one example. There are so many examples okay. of... It, it's, th- this is actually a messianic and apocalyptic prophecy. Oh, you're going to put them all together <laughs> yeah, We one. sure are. Oh, Ezekiel chapter 21. Ezekiel 21. And uh, this is just... There, there, of course, I, I wish we had more time. There's so many fascinating things that were foretold about Christ that even the, the, the coming, the, how they came to pass. You know, for example, where the birthplace of Jesus was foretold, but also the, the taxing that, that Caesar Augustus imposed on the world was foretold mm. that made sure they were in the place, <laughs> Joseph and Mary were in the right place so Jesus would yeah, be born people according might forget to prophecy. That Joseph and Mary didn't live in Bethlehem <laughs> exactly when he was about right. to be born, but he had to be moved there to be, fulfill the word of God. Anyway, yeah. that's another... Yes, it is. <laughs> Ezekiel chapter 21. Now we're going to go to verse 25, and especially in light of the fact that we just studied the book of Daniel, okay. and you know, in Daniel 2 and in, in subsequent prophecies, we have that foundation of those the rise and fall of world empires, the empire of Babylon, and then uh, succession to Medo-Persia and to Greece and to Rome and the breakup of Rome and what have you. I want you to notice what it says here, and, and, and this is, you have to understand the setting. Ezekiel's writing this, the first wave of captivity has come. The king that is on the throne in, in uh, Jerusalem is King Zedekiah. Zedekiah was placed there by King Nebuchadnezzar. Hmm. So in other words, Nebuchadnezzar is, Nebuchadnezzar is already on the throne. Babylon is already the ruler of the world. You've got to keep that in mind. Now, I'm reading in the, in the uh, New King James. Well, I'll explain what I'm talking about in a minute. It says in verse 25, and this is God's prophecy to Zedekiah. It says, Now to you, O profane, wicked prince of Israel, whose day has come, whose iniquity shall end. Thus says the Lord God, remove the turban and take off the crown. Nothing shall remain the same. Exalt the humble and humble the exalted. Overthrown, overthrown, I will make it overthrown. It shall be no longer until he come whose right it is, and I will give it him. The it that will be no longer, he's talking about the throne. Mm. And Zedekiah is sitting on the throne. Now the King James says it this way, overturn, I will overturn, overturn, overturn it, and it, the throne, shall be no more until he come whose right it is, and Mm. I will give it to him. This is what the prophecy was saying. Babylon is ruling the world, right? The throne Mm. of Israel has been, God said his people would reign, but now the world ruler is Babylon. Babylon. God says, I'm going to overturn 
one time. I'm going to overturn two times. I'm going to overturn three times from Babylon to Persia, from Persia to Greece, from Greece to Rome. I'm going to overturn the throne. And then there's not going to be another world ruler until, until he come whose right it is. And that's Jesus Christ. And it's mm. all right there in that little prophecy. Yeah. Now, I read a fascinating statement on this in Ellen White's book, Education. And I want to share that with our viewers. Okay. Uh, commenting, it says... The final overthrow of all earthly... This is the book Education, page 179, beginning. The final overthrow of all earthly dominions is plainly foretold in the word of truth. Mm -hmm. In the prophecy uttered when sentence from God was pronounced upon the last king of Israel is given the message, thus saith the Lord, remove the diadem and take off the crown, exalt him that is low, etc. I will overturn, overturn, overturn. It says, quoted. And then it goes on to say this. The crown removed from Israel passed successively to the kingdoms of Babylon Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. God says it shall be no more until he come whose right it is, and I will give it to him. That time is at hand. Mm. Today the signs of the times declare that we are standing on the threshold of great and solemn events. Everything in our world is in agitation. Before our eyes is fulfilling the Savior's prophecy of the events to precede his coming. Ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places, Matthew 24, 6 and 7. Mercy. The present is a time of overwhelming interest to all living. Rulers and statesmen, men who occupy positions of trust and authority, thinking men and women of all classes, have their attention fixed upon the events taking place about us. They are watching the strained, restless relations that exist among the nations. They observe the intensity that is taking possession of every earthly element, and they recognize that something great and decisive is about to take place, that the world is on the verge of a stupendous crisis. Wow. <laughs> well, if that, that doesn't speak to our day oh, today, mercy. I mean, it's incredible. And so just one example of the, one of those prophecies, apocalyptic and messianic, that, that not only tells what we're going to face, but gives us hope because mm. that kingdom will be no more until he come whose right it is. Wow. And all who serve with him and are faithful will be found in that kingdom with him. And mm. we have hope in that. Amen. That's a powerful thought. I mean, the idea that, you know, the Bible from so... This, by the way, that prophecy is from the Old Testament. That's exactly Looking right. Looking forward to kingdom after kingdom after kingdom and then giving the segue to Christ himself when he comes. And then you tie the signs of the end, which we see all around us now. We're living at a time after the overthrow, 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 right. right? We've seen all that, and we can reliably look at that as accurately fulfilled Absolutely. history now. But now we're living in the time of those signs. And you're reading there from the world being agitation, the signs of... You know, I remember when I would present some of the, the signs of Christ's coming messages sometimes. You know, you would talk about an earthquake here or there, and an idea, and they're gradually increasing... But right now, and you'd almost have to uh, like remind people, oh yeah, there are things that are happening out there. Right. No one needs a reminder anymore. People are glued to their Google News feeds, right? And they're, and, they're, and they're arrested by the events around us. And this is exactly what the Bible foretold centuries ago. Absolutely. Incredible. Incredible. So the uniqueness of the Bible as a prophetic book, and then the, finally, uh, the final thing I'm going to look at is the uniqueness of the Bible as a living book. Mm. You know, the Bible says in uh, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 that the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper yes. than any two-edged sword. And this is unique with the Bible, that it is a, a living book. For example, uh, if you turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, mm -hmm. 1 Peter chapter 1, and Peter's after the book of Hebrews, you have the book of James, and then 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 23. Notice the, the words of of Peter here. He says, and we're in the middle of a thought, but you'll get the point. He says, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the what? Through the word of through God. Through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Okay, so again, the word is living. Right. And we're born again through, through the word. word of God. Now, what does that mean? Well, it makes me think of the words of Jesus in John chapter 6, verse 63, mm -hmm. where he says, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they mm -hmm. are life. Um, and another passage in the book of 1 Timothy, where Paul talks about a woman who lives in pleasure and says she's dead yet while she lives. Mm -hmm. The point being this, 
we can walk through this earth, we can walk and talk and breathe and everything else, and yet the Bible can call us dead spiritually. Mm. You can be alive physically, but spiritually dead. And I know that from my own experience. You've experienced that, yeah. Because before I came to Christ, I was dead to spiritual things. In other words, you know, a dead person has no interest or interaction with the world around him. A spiritually dead person has no interest or interaction with the spiritual world. No interest in God, no interest in prayer, no interest in church. That was my life Mm. until I began reading the Word of God. And what the Bible's telling us here is the Word of God implants in man Mm. the spiritual life. That's Mm. what Jesus meant. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. That They prompt that new birth, that new life, that Mm -hmm. spiritual life comes in and through that a man is born again. The Word of God is even written on the pages of this book, is still the Word of God. The same Word that the Bible says in the beginning, God said, let there be. And boom, there it was. Mm -hmm. Because His Word then and now was living and powerful. Right, and that's exactly the phrasing that's used by the Apostle Paul in the text you mentioned already in Hebrews chapter 4. It says, for the Word of God is living and active. And what does it do? That life and power says it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Notice it's powerful not just to proclaim future events. It is not just powerful to declare things into existence, right? Though the That's Word right. of God can do all of those things, and praise the Lord, He has created, He has redeemed, and He will come again. But beyond those grand overarching uh, big picture things, specifically it's talking about it cuts to the heart, That's to the right. intent, to your own, to an individual, to a person. It's transformative. Right. It cuts to my heart. So it's not just ab- uh, objectively true out there, well, but you, it's personally true in here. Y- you remind me of the lesson. That, of course, the lesson goes into the experience of King Josiah. Yes. Who found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Yeah. Most likely the lesson brings out, you know, the law, Torah, the first five books of Moses, mm-hmm. or at least the book of Deuteronomy. Right. But he found the scripture in the the house of the Lord. What a great place to find exactly. it. Exactly. There's a dusty copy of the Would Bible. Would that God's people today would find <laughs> Mercy. the, 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 they go the to book of the law in the house of the Lord. <laughs> yeah. And what happened to Josiah was that it, this is what we're talking about, it imparted spiritual life. It awakened him mm-hmm. to spiritual things. And when it did, he saw himself in the light of that. That's right. And it brought conviction and it brought repentance and it brought one of the greatest reforms in all of Israel. Mm. You know, I think of what Jesus said to Nicodemus, you know, he talks about, for you must be born again. And this was a man who knew the Bible, but he only knew That's it in right. the terms of facts and figures and cultural traditions and different uh, methods of teaching. But Christ was saying, it has to land in your heart. You have That's to right. have that new start. And praise the Lord that his word is not just unique in a sense that it's different than other things. Yes, it is different but it's different for a purpose. It's different to make us different, to be transformative. Yeah, and I really would like to speak to our viewers on this because I know that people, and I just even as a pastor, if I don't stay in the Word, Mm. I begin to lose that spiritual life. And there are some of you viewing right now who, if you were just to straight out be honest, you'd say, you know, I hardly have any interest in spiritual things anymore. I mean, I'm watching this show today. I'm watching Sabbath School. I wanted to get back into things. Mm-hmm. But maybe you felt like you backslidden and you're just getting back to it. Maybe you feel like you're sliding back the other direction. And mm. it doesn't matter where you are in your experience. The Bible will always impart spiritual life. Mm. And if you commit yourself to spending time in the Word of God, to becoming familiar with it, that spiritual life will revive. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, that spiritual life can be renewed to you today. It's it's a living book. And that's one of the most powerful evidences of the fact that the uniquenesses of the Bible is the testimony after testimony after testimony throughout the ages across the globe Mm. of people whose lives have been transformed by the Bible. And I know atheists who are like, uh, who have a mindset that like, well, we don't don't discourage people studying the Bible because I know people who, they've become much better people. (laughs) Exactly, it does (laughs) seem to work. (laughs) And you want to say, have you ever thought about why that is? Yeah, maybe there's something to it. That's right. That's right. 
Friends, I hope you have enjoyed our Sabbath school time today. Our time is up, and we would could, we could go on and on about this. This is a great study, and next week we're going to keep going. And we will for the next twelve weeks. <laughs> exactly. There's, we we want to encourage you to study not only the Sabbath school lesson itself, but the scripture that is drawn from, so That's that we right. can be familiar with the Word of God personally. That we can have that cutting, renewed, new birth experience Amen. through the Word. As we leave today, Pastor Mark, could you give us a word of prayer? Yes, let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we are so undeserving of all of your mercies and your love. And Father, we love you for it. We thank you for the living word. We thank you that even now the words of Jesus, our spirit and life, Lord, even if we, have, we are backslidden, even if we have had no interest, even if presently right now, we know we should be more interested in spiritual things, but we are just not. Mercy. Your word is living and powerful and can impart to us that spiritual life. And I pray, Father, I think of the words of Jesus, that as we study the word, let us not refuse to come to Jesus that we may have life. His words in John 5 that said that you study the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life but you refuse to come to me. I pray, Father, that as we study the word, it will be with the purpose of coming closer to Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, to have a living relationship with him, that we may know him and the power of his resurrection and be ready when he comes in his kingdom so very soon. Thank you, Father, for hearing and answering this prayer, for we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.